Do you want to know what it takes to work as a high-performing executive assistant? You'll find out when you listen to the EA Campus podcast. Join me, Nikki Christmas, the founder of Practically Perfect PA and the EA Campus, for a weekly interview with successful assistants who all have first-hand experience and lessons to share on what it takes to excel in the role. Tune in, get inspired, and learn how to create an assistant career where you are valued, motivated, and ready to face every challenge head on. Whether you are an assistant just starting in your career or prepared to move to the next level, building a successful assistant career just got a little easier with the EA Campus podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the EA Campus podcast. I'm absolutely overjoyed to be joined by Tara Sims today. Hi, Tara. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I know that you are a busy lady. So we've got around about an hour of your time and there is a lot to cover. So before we dive into all of the questions that I've got, I'd like to get a sense of your career to date. So why don't you give us a journey through what you've been doing as an assistant? Okay. I actually didn't start my career as in the administrative profession. I actually started my career when I graduated from college in college recruitment. And so the first, I don't know, 12 years or so out of college, I was working as a college recruiter for both proprietary and traditional schools, doing recruiting, traveling all over, meeting students, doing high school visits, doing interviews with students, making decisions on candidates. So for the first part of my career, that's what I was doing. And people often will ask me, now, how did you go from that to what you're doing now, which is what I've been doing for the last, I don't know, close to 17 years, I guess now, working in an administrative space, is that, so I had this idea that I wanted to go to beauty school. I know this is random, you're probably thinking. And in order to go to beauty school, I was not going to be able to maintain my recruiting schedule and the travel and the hours that were all involved. And so What happened was I made this decision, funny story. I was having a conversation with my grandmother and I was on the phone with her and I was just like talking about this, right? And she said to me, here's my piece of advice. You don't want to look up decades from now and think to yourself, I wish I would have. And so in tossing this idea about going to beauty school, that was ringing in my head that my grandmother had said that. And that's what I did. I decided to go to beauty school. And I was looking for a job that would allow me to have a sort of banker's hours and be able to go to school part-time because I was a grown woman at this point. I was in my 30s. I had a home. I had real responsibilities and landed a position working in as an assistant to an executive vice president in a bank and got into the role. I was going to beauty school at night. Yes, I finished beauty school. Long story short, I never went into that profession, but if you need a haircut, call me. (laughs) But I started working as an assistant to this executive vice president in banking. And for some reason realized I'm really good at this and I really like it. I have always been someone who's been fairly structured and I like process and I like order. And so being able to flex that muscle in a profession was like, okay, I think I may have found my spot. And so 
Long story short, I continued in a career working as an administrative professional. After left banking, I worked for Kellogg's corporate headquarters in a coordinator type role. And then for the last decade, I have been at Comcast, currently in the role of senior manager of administrative services, started as an executive assistant supporting the SVP of customer care and worked my way up to an executive assistant four, and then got to a place in space where I really wanted to expand my career. I wanted to do more. I wanted to have more responsibility. And so was able to work with my boss at the time, who is still my dotted line boss, but I'll explain that later, to talk about how we do that in an administrative role, because I was very clear, and I am very clear that This is my passion and purpose, and I love to do it. But I also am keenly aware that sometimes we can hit a glass ceiling as it relates to pay, as it relates to opportunities to to stretch. And so I was very clear about what it is I wanted to do because I think oftentimes we get folks who will say, well, you're maybe overqualified for this, or maybe you should be doing something else. Or in order to get to that next level, you need to be in some other sort of role. And work that we do as administrative professionals is important work, critical to the executives we support, critical to the businesses that we operate in. And so my goal has always been not only to be a champion for other administrative professionals, but also to provide executives with education around what this role could really look like. Because I think oftentimes we're kind of pigeonholed into what an administrative professional should be doing. And having been working for someone who I was able to pull along with that thought process, I've been able to advance my career and excel to the place where I'm supporting two presidents, but also have administrative professionals reporting into me. Okay, there's a lot to unpick there. But first of all, just to say that we're absolutely singing off the same hymn sheet. So it's lovely to hear when you speak to an assistant and their first thought is they're really passionate about what they do. It's a career. And actually, there's a huge amount of opportunity that comes with the administrative professional or executive assistant or whatever job title you have within this industry. There comes so much opportunity. You've just got to put yourself forward for it and really believe in what you're capable of. So that's a brilliant way to start the podcast podcast. I'm super excited to carry on talking to you. Before we move on to some of the interesting things that you brought up there, just for those who are listening that don't know, can you tell us a little bit about what the main aspects of your role are at Comcast? I actually work in the central division office under the umbrella of our headquarters in Philadelphia. We have three divisions, Northeast, West and Central, which is the largest of the three. And I'm on the cable side of the business and I currently support, and this gets a little crazy, but I currently support the Central Division president. And I also support the person who was the former Central Division president, who is now the president of Xfinity. And I have Two presidents, which is a rare thing to have happen, and partly just because my former manager, who is now the president of Xfinity, we worked together for so long, so it makes sense for us to continue the relationship because we've partnered together so long. But I have two presidents that I support, 
And then I also have a team of administrative professionals that report into me. And that team is responsible for providing administrative support to our VP level executives that are in the central division. The central division is comprised of regions as well. So this just gives you a little bit of the depth and size of what we're doing here. And there are four regions that roll into the central division and our VPs that are in the central division that report into our office are who my team supports from an administrative standpoint. I know that was a lot. So to sum up, you're busy. (laughs) (laughs) The level of activity can some days, I just like, I am very busy. My day-to-day is quite intense from, and I'll just give you a glimpse of what that looks like. And so I am obviously managing the calendars of two very busy executives, and I am an intense manager of the calendar because I think it is critically important in this role that we understand what meetings should be where, how to manage conflicts, who I can pull from their direct reports to go to a meeting if they can't attend. And so there's a lot of activity just purely managing the calendar, okay? And then add to it, because I do have this role that's a little bit more expansive than what you would consider your traditional administrative role, I'm pulled in a lot of different other things. So for example, we have a building committee. So anything that's going on in our office that may be operational as it relates to events happening in our office, as it relates to facilities types, things. I'm pulled into a lot of those conversations as well, partly as representation of the president's office, but also partly because I've been around a long time and I have a historical knowledge of a lot of things. And so then I, you add to it my team. I am meeting with them, obviously, when we are doing our one-on-one sessions. I have team meetings. I'm also, in a lot of ways, the liaison between my team and the leaders that they support, making sure that I'm clear what leaders need, So that can be conveyed to the team that reports to me. And yes, busy is a bit of an understatement because the business alone is super fast. We are large, we are fast, we are always innovating and new products coming on board. And so there's a lot of stuff just happening with the business purely alone. And so when our executives are moving 10 million miles an hour, I'm moving 10 million miles an hour right behind them. And a lot of times people don't know what we're doing, but in order to keep up with the pace of what they've got going on, my schedule is pretty full. And I really want to get into how you manage that because I think just from the last few minutes of listening to everything you do, you sounds like you're doing sort of four different people's jobs at minimum. So I really want to get into how you manage that. How many assistants are, are, are reporting into you and are, are, are you managing so I only have four. It's a small group, but I we have other assistants that sit in our office that report directly to our SVP. I don't directly supervise them, but I'm often collaborating with them on different things because their bosses report into our president. And yeah, I just have the four. And the great thing, what I will say about the four that I have, I have a lead. So I have someone that I've identified and was able to get to promote, to get to lead. And so I do have a bit of a buffer there, right? To fill in certain things 
for me to handle certain things for the team, to convey information to the team sometimes when I'm pulled in another direction. So I'm grateful to have that. But yes, I th- my team is pretty strong. I'm really pleased with the team that I have. And they're kind of low maintenance for me. And I'm grateful for that. That wasn't always the case, but they definitely, I've gotten to a place with them and they've gotten to a place in terms of their skill sets and abilities that I feel like they are pretty low maintenance. They are for me, they are performing in the way that they need to be to meet the needs of our executives. And again, I have that buffer because I do have a lead who's helping me pull the team along. This, as I said, I'm really interested in how you go about structuring your time and then we'll move on to how you go about helping your executives with their time. So Mm -hmm. why don't we start as we often do with these things in the morning? Can you just talk me through some of the things that you do to prepare yourself for the day ahead? So this morning is a perfect example. I don't do this every morning, but I try to do something similar. This morning when I was laying in bed, I told, I I would say her name, but she's going to repeat it. A-L-E-X-A. If I say her name, she's going to say it out loud (laughs) to play some soft morning music for me. And I let the music play and I literally laid in my bed and just stretched. I do this. If somebody could watch me in the morning, they'd be like, what is this crazy lady doing? (laughs) What is this lady doing? But I do a series of sort of stretches and deep breathing in the morning that I swear if somebody was watching me, they'd be like, okay, she's going to make it. And so there's some sort of ritual like that occurs every morning. Sometimes it's just depending on if I oversleep or I'm running late or need to get, I'll go into my bathroom and just start my day. But I always have, I may have meditation, like the guided meditation going. And sometimes I even listen to, there's an app that I use called the first 15 that talks about having your first 15 minutes with God. So there's scripture and, and all of that, that. So I do some variation of that every morning. And I, When I'm leaving, because I have a variety of things that go on. So some days I work from home, some days I'm in the office. When I'm working from home, I'm able to just grab my coffee and come down to this space and start my work. I often sometimes will work in the dark. I don't know if anybody else does this because it just feels soothing to me to work in the dark until, of course, I start having calls. And then... (laughs) Or if I am going into the office, I obviously will, you know, put real clothes on put makeup on, get dressed and drive over to the office. So that's kind of what my morning looks like. Now, there are some days where if I am working from home, I will take advantage of going to work out. I work out at Orange Theory. I think lots of people are familiar with Orange Theory. It's all over the world. So I do get up and maybe get like a 6.15 or 7.30 class in the morning. And I will take advantage of that sometimes when I'm working from home. So that's what my morning looks like. That sounds a really nice way to prepare yourself for what's about to come, especially if you are going into the office, because as you said, you work in a fast paced environment. So could you give us a sense? I know this is, I say this in every podcast. I know this is really difficult for assistants to do, but could you give us a sense of what an average day would look like and what kind of activities you're doing or how you plan out the day or don't in some cases, I guess. (laughs) So I obviously am looking at the calendar all the time. So I kind of know what my week is going to look like. I am very thoughtful about how I schedule my day. Oftentimes it is based on what my executives have going on because yes, I'm responsible for them, but then I have a whole host of other things that I'm doing that I need to be present for. And so 
being thoughtful around looking at the calendar in advance, making sure I'm clear about what's coming up the week and the day before, the day after, right? I am aware. And so that will determine how I plan or how what happens that day, right? I drive everything by the calendar. If it's not on the calendar, it has not happened. I put everything, my focus time on the calendar, my lunch is on the calendar. If I need to make a five minute call to call somebody, it is on the calendar. So the calendar drives everything that I do. And if I'm working, I have, and this is such a bad thing because I have to force myself to get, I am someone, even at the office, I eat at my desk. I rarely leave my desk because I am, I have, and my team will laugh at me. I have email anxiety. And so I don't like my inbox to be over 30 to 35 emails in it. And in order to stay on top of what is coming at me all day, every day, I have to stay focused. And so from the time I start the day, the work day, to the end of the work day, I am pretty planted. And so I have to force myself to get up. I do go downstairs when I'm in the office and grab lunch. I usually eat the same thing almost every day, which is a Caesar salad. (laughs) And I eat it at my desk. And every now and then someone can drag me out to have lunch somewhere. And I will do that if the schedule allows, but I'm pretty head down. I know it's not that exciting, but I'm pretty head down. And for me, it's the only way I can manage the load that I have and stay on top of it because there's so many details. There's so many moving parts. And I want to make sure that I'm not dropping any balls and being absent for large gaps of time could be problematic. And so I just avoid that. I'm I know I know no one can see me on a podcast but I'm nodding away furiously because I'm exactly the same I actually have just started setting a notification on my watch to tell me to get up and move because I would be exactly the same I have I also have email anxiety I must go back to my assistant days I to get through everything I have to be really focused so I often am just here and it takes somebody to come in and drag me away to go and do something. So I completely get it. I really do. It's not a good thing. We really it's should not. do this what we're doing. <laughs> but at the same time, when, when you have so much going on and you have to be focused, if you're, how much work are you getting done? It, it's probably a huge amount that you're getting through in those hours where you are able to focus. Swings and roundabouts, I would imagine. And then some days it feels like not enough time. And so there, and again, when I'm in the office, there are clearly things going on around me. People coming to my desk, people pinging me. Hey, can I come up there and talk to you for a minute? There's clearly things interrupting what I'm doing. And so sometimes I do find myself, I have to bring it home. I I have to do some of it later in the evenings or at home. But the best way for me to manage that pace is to just be head down and getting it done. Yeah, I guess there's different techniques for everybody. But yeah, I can completely relate to that one. As you said, especially when everything is moving fast paced, the last thing you want to do is lose it, not be in the loop, Mm -hmm. not know what's going on. So I can completely get that. It it sounds, as I said, busy is an understatement. So I wonder Mm -hmm. what some of the challenges that you face in your role, if you could give us a look at that. I think that One of the biggest challenges is navigating when you're pulled into certain things that you really don't need to be pulled into. And I think people, so there's, it's, there's a, it's a double-edged sword because I think people see me as a resource. And so it's very easy to contact me to ask a quick question or what they think is a quick question. But if I get six or seven quick questions in a day, 
that's taking time away from what I need to be focused on. I think that can be a challenge, right? Having to get those situations to send people to go fish and figure it out on their own. That can be tough. But I think the other big challenge, and I know a lot of assistants can relate to this, and I have been fortunate that I had the same leader for the last decade. I just got a new leader within the last year and a half to two years. But I think one of the biggest challenges that that I have faced, and again, I haven't had to face it a lot, but is showing executives what I'm capable of doing. And sometimes executives will come in with a mindset around what an administrative professional is capable of doing, what they should be doing. And I think that in so many ways, I have tried to expand that view and even expanding it, not with just people I directly report to, but just executives that I engage with in general, right? That understanding that you can require your assistant to do something other than manage your calendar and book your travel. And um, the two ch- the two challenges that you mentioned there often go hand in hand, don't they? Because the, a lot of the time the people that interrupt you and ask you things that aren't necessarily part of your the overview of what you can do ties in really nicely with telling people that all of the amazing things that you can do and actually maybe your expertise don't lie in helping people with things they should be doing themselves. Yeah, that that takes up so much time. So yeah. I think the two challenges you've mentioned really they go hand in hand quite often. It's true. It's true. I think sometimes it is. And here's the other thing: like I want, I want to be stretched. Even if I don't know how to do something, I at least want to be considered for certain things. And I think that's the case for a lot of assistants, right? And so having, being in the room with executives and hearing some of the conversations that help us better understand like business and what's happening in the business. And quite frankly, I don't think that every assistant needs to know all the details. Like our business is super complex and I will never know all of the details of the complexities of our business because I really feel like my focus is the business of my executive but understanding what they've got going on with some generalized understanding of meetings and what the purposes are and those kinds of things. But for me, overall, I think those have been the two biggest challenges. And you're right, they do go, and I never thought about it that way, but they do go hand in hand. So how have you gone about getting people to understand what you can do. And I love the way that you said that they're getting them to give you the opportunities and realize that you are there and you can be stretched and you can try these things. So how have you got about kind of initiating those conversations? Nikki, it's exhausting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is exhausting. It is exhausting. It's such a good way of putting it. It's soul destroying sometimes. It is exhausting. It can be very exhausting because you always feel like you're like on a, like a sales pitch. I can do that. How, would you be open to letting me do this? Or can I? So you feel like a, like you're at the sales pitch. But here's what I would say. And I would give this advice to an assistant who is in a space where they feel like there's more that they can be doing. The first thing is do what you're currently doing very well. Make it look like this is light work what you've assigned to me. And I can do this work with my eyes closed and I do it very well because work done well over and over again 
gives people the impression that you're an expert in a particular area. So that's the first thing. Before you start trying to do something stretched, you better make sure you're showing up to do the thing that you're expected to do very well. The second thing I would say is relationships. I think people underestimate the value of building strong relationships with your manager, relationships with other executives, because people are watching and people are paying attention. And sometimes having the right relationships, when you are ready to have the conversation you want to have about your career, if you have the right relationship with individuals, they sometimes are more susceptible to championing whatever it is that you want to do, or may even be the people that are in the position to make it happen for you. So that that's number two. The third thing I would say is just be mindful of like your brand. We don't often talk about branding in the administrative space. And one of the things that I've always told assistants that I've hired and brought on board to our organization is operate as if you sit in my seat. Because Again, executives are paying attention. You never know when there's going to be a shift in an opportunity for you to showcase your skills and talents in front of an executive. And so build a brand and a reputation that if Tara is not available, if this person is not available, if the assistant to the CEO is not available, you are the resource that I can tap into because I trust that you know what you're doing. And if you don't know, you're going to try to figure it out. And so... That those would be the things that I think are critically important when you're thinking about asking to be stretched or wanting to, because once you do all of that, building relationships, doing what you do, building a brand, when you are ready to have the conversation, your reputation precedes you. And so people are a little bit more open to considering what it is that you're asking for. Yeah, it becomes easier as well, doesn't it? I think, as you said, around relationship building, when you've developed that trust with your executive, I know for a lot of assistants, they reach the point in their relationship with their executive or in the organization where they've hit that glass ceiling, like you said at the beginning of our discussion, and they leave because they don't feel like the job's going anywhere. But in your case, somebody who has stayed in the organization, working with an executive a long time, you can clearly see the benefits of that trust building over a longer period of time. So sometimes assistants have to play the long game in a way Mm -hmm. because the benefits really do start to come in at a later point. Is that something that you've noticed in your career? Yes. And here's what I would say. We can't necessarily, like, this doesn't work for everybody in every situation and every executive. So let's just get that out there, right? I think, but I do think what we have to do to show up, because of course we can't make someone do something different. We can't always make them do what we want them to do or what we're asking them for. But what we can do is control how we show up in the space, right? And be self-reflective around, I've had assistants come to me and say, how did you get to this place? How did you get this role? And one of the things I will say to them is, the three things I just mentioned to you, but I also will say I spend time with myself analyzing certain things about how I show up, what my skills are like, when I feel like maybe there's a gap somewhere. And I go about trying to figure out how to improve that or fill that gap. The other thing I am very comfortable with asking is for feedback. And the truth is, There are a lot of people who want to expand and do additional things and be seen a different way, but you've got to be open to receiving feedback 
that may not feel so good coming to you. And then you've got to take that feedback and do something about it. And I think, yes, over time, if I didn't show up in the door and all of a sudden I'm a senior manager of administrative services, it definitely has come with over time showing up, performing with excellence, and more about what I could do in the space. But also, I think having the right person that you work for who allows you to do your thing without always blocking it or intervening, obviously giving oversight to say, okay, maybe you should think about doing it this kind of way, but you want somebody to trust you. And sometimes you do need to exit. Maybe it's never going to happen with your current executive, but You show up in the best way you can and do all of the things that you need to do to, if you're asking to be stretched, you need to be ready for when it comes your way (laughs) as well. Um, And whatever that looks like. Yeah. Doing the work, doing the work yourself as much. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, there comes a lot of challenging aspects to the role, but what I would say from what you've described so far, it sounds incredibly exciting, the work that you do. So I wonder what some of the enjoyable parts of the role in your day. So I am the linear thinker, as you can imagine. So I think the most enjoyable parts of my day is the people that are in my sort of immediate kind of, I am an introvert, although people are shocked when I say that. I could quite frankly work in a bubble and not talk to anybody, but clearly I can't do that in order to show up and be successful. But the people, I have been fortunate to have managers, particularly over the last decade, that I love working with. I am comfortable with them. I think One of the things that is, I was just having this conversation with someone. So my former manager, one of the things that I appreciated most, who I still dotted line work for, but who I appreciate most is he's always allowed me to show up in the space as I am. And I think that's rare that people can really show up at work and be really who they are, their truly authentic self and not have to be worried about any sort of backlash or judgment or those kinds of things. And so that the people I say would say, and I will add to that my team. I love my team. I They are so much fun. I enjoy being with them. Our staff meetings are hilarious. We get the work done, but we have a good time too. And then just the executives that I have and the relationships that I've built over the last few years that I think I've learned so much. And so for me, the people are probably the most enjoy. Let me add to that too, because I like the work itself, right? I like planning meetings and events. I like project managing things. I like, because it's just innately who I am. And that even transferred into my home life. I like structure. I like order. If something is out of place in my house, it's screaming at me from across the room. And so I think the job in and of itself, but then the people are just the icing on the cake. So that's, to me, the most enjoyable parts. I do also appreciate that I've gotten to a place in my career that I do have a lot of flexibility and that the people that I work for, I feel like, trust me. And so if my if life happens and I need to be unavailable or out of the office or work from home, or I'm appreciative of that flexibility and that I have established myself as someone who is reliable and trustworthy. And, and so those things are probably the biggest thing, pleasures that I have working in and doing what I do. Yeah, it's a nice place to be in, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When you are, as you said, you've built up that trust 
You people know that you, if you need to leave work for a personal reason, that the work will be picked up and it's not an issue. Oh, it's a lovely place to be in when you get to that point with an organization. It is. I'd like to pick on pick up on working and managing the team that you do, because I know there will be a lot of assistants who have got to to your point in your career who would like to manage a group of other assistants. And I think it's becoming from speaking to assistants over the last few years, it's definitely becoming an opportunity that's more readily available. So can I just how did that happen for you? And how has that journey been from going into working and managing a team of assistants? How it happened was we were growing. Our organization was growing. And just in observing like executives doing all kinds of things that in my opinion, in my mind, were not the best use of their time. And as we had gotten larger, we had assistants who were supporting our SVPs But then they were also trying to carry the load for our VPs and some of the requests of the teams, even below the VP level. And it just began to be like, why aren't we looking at putting in a level support that helps that next level? The VPs, a team that maybe can pitch in and help when you have a director or a senior manager who may need some administrative support. And so there's tiered level of support, which the way we provide it, but my team has changed a little bit, but we can get into that because we started one way and we're now doing something a little bit different. But so it was really a matter of having a conversation with HR about it and getting with HR and then taking that to the president who was my manager and saying, I think there is value in looking at getting another level of support because our VPs are spending their time doing lots of things that really are not the best use of their time. And they really should be focused on the core functions of the business and what parts of the business they're responsible for. Again, I was in a trusting sort of relationship with the person that was, that managed me. I think the insight, which he may not have necessarily ever had because he had support, (laughs) the insight to what's happening out there at the VP level and how VPs have been spending their time. I think being able to say, this is a thing, like this is happening. We've grown so significantly and we can't have one assistant supporting not only two senior vice presidents, but then VPs and their teams. And it was just a lot. And of that, my team was created. Initially, when we started and formed the organization, we were supporting VP level. There was a tier of support we were providing to them. And then we also operated in a shared services capacity where we had a ticketing system. If you were someone below the VP level that needed administrative support for a project or a task, then you could submit a ticket. That ticket would come to me. I would then review what the needs were and then allocated amongst the group based on set interest and different variety, availability, those kinds of things. But in the last year, we had to do a little bit of a shift that we have eliminated the shared services component of this because we have now taken on, we used to only support the central division executives that sat in our office. We now support all of the central division vice presidents. And so we've removed that shared services piece so that we can give all of those EPs the the attention that they need in terms of managing calendars and things like that. Now, in terms of my team, essentially we have, I have one-on-one sessions with them. I also have bi-weekly where we come together as a group. 
during that time, we share out with each other if there are things that have come up for an individual that maybe would be beneficial for the others to know. We do like a round robin kind of thing. And if someone finds out, hey, I learned a new process in case this comes across your desk, here's how you do it. So we do those kinds of conversations. I also have conversations with them about updates or things that they may need to know, things that may be coming down the pike that's not broadly known, that obviously would may be confidential, that we keep in that space, that we need to prepare for, or changes, some of the org changes, things like that. So we have those kinds of conversations. I have also started, we did a summit a couple of years ago. We did two summits where we pulled all of the division assistance in for training and guest speaker. We didn't do it last year, but it is something I'm hoping to do it again coming up. And then the other thing as it relates to my team is I also am someone who solicit feedback from the vice presidents. And so I'm able to, again, I think I mentioned this sort of liaison between the two, right? And so I have quarterly conversations with vice presidents about whether their needs are getting met, what kinds of things, even though my team is I, they are responsible for also having those kinds of conversations, but I come behind them and also get feedback. If there's anything a VP wants to share with me that they may not share directly, like things that I can coach and go back and maybe course correct. We have those kind of conversations quarterly. And so I feel like I have a good pulse on what the needs are of the executives and then making sure the team is showing up to to support them in the way that they need it and that's most effective. And how is that have you what differences have you noticed in terms of productivity but also in terms of the I guess the kind of understanding between the group of assistants because I really love that network that assistants have when they come together as a group in the kind of structure that, you, that you've just detailed there. I think it gives real power to the assistants when they are meeting regularly, having those conversations, mm-hmm. keeping up with each other. So I just wonder what difference that's made in terms of escalating, I guess, the productivity and level of work within your department. It's hard to measure and I think it's best measured by asking executives that question. I obviously think from the standpoint of folks managing calendars, especially for our super busy execs with crazy calendars, I think if you were to ask them, they would feel like it's great to have someone paying attention to that and managing that. So all I have to do is show up and sit down. Harder for me to gauge I think it's a better question for them. I think, or maybe even a better question for my team because they are each supporting anywhere from like 12 to 14 people. Now, not all at the same level of support because everybody doesn't require the same level of support. But I think they would probably better be better to receive that question and say, okay, when I got this person, this is how they- Like before, yeah. (laughs) And now that I'm involved, this is a little bit what it looks like today. So there's a lot of people. So harder for me to gauge that. But just in general, like in having conversations with our executives, I feel like they feel like it's great to have someone who's paying attention to all of those things and that they can rely on to schedule meetings, to make sure all of the logistics are taken care of for meetings. And in particular now, it was much easier in this virtual space when everybody was home with COVID, but now we're back in the office several days a week. And so I think for a lot of them, having someone who can manage logistics, making sure there's a space, making sure there's a meal, making sure IT is engaged and involved. I would think 
the productivity of the executives has increased significantly over the last couple of years because of them, because prior to their existence, all of those things they were doing themselves. Yeah, which is never a great place to be when you're that senior in an organization. Yeah, it's great that you noticed that and you were able to take it to your executive and they listened. I hope that for people listening to the podcast today who are in a similar situation, it gives them the confidence to go and have those conversations because you are best placed to notice that. You know, mm-hmm. it's when your executives are doing things they shouldn't be doing and mm-hmm. you could be doing it, it's having that confidence to speak. So thank you so much for sharing that. It's a great mm-hmm. piece of advice. So I love asking this question generally, but I love asking the next question for assistants who it wasn't necessarily their full career. So I wonder if there is one one thing you now know about the role that you wish you had known when you became an assistant? The one thing I wish I had known is that being in this role, you do feel like you're selling yourself. I would, and that sounds crazy. Let me rephrase that. Um, I think I never realized how vast people's opinions or ideas or notions about what an assistant is and does I never realized how very that that is and how it would show up to me. And let me see if I can explain that a little bit better, because I think there's a school and you probably understand where I'm going with this. But I think there's a school of professionals who think it's very important to be aligned with the assistant to understand like. They understand that we have knowledge of things, that we understand the inner workings of certain things. They understand that we have influence over the powers that be. And then there's a school of individuals that you engage with who dismissive is not the word I'm looking for, but almost don't even realize that we do have this level of inside You know what I mean? We have some inside access to certain things. And it's been an interesting thing to watch and navigate over the years. The other thing I think is interesting is often sometimes underestimate what your knowledge, your skill set, your experience, your education. People will often underestimate that. And it's not always a hard line where someone's saying that to you, but it's a feeling, it's an experience with an individual that lets you know that either this person is doesn't think I'm either capable, have the authority to, have access to, get information, do something or whatever the situation might be. But I think, I wish I would have known that prior to getting into the role, not that I could have stopped it, but I think I would have been better prepared for it when it showed up. Yeah, it's interesting. And I wonder how you deal, I guess you could call them stereotypes around the role because yet there is absolutely a group of people out there that get the assistant role, want to, that's kind of a whole other thing, dealing with people that want your influence and, want, and how they go about get, getting in with you as an assistant. That's a whole other thing. For those other group of people that don't get the role, I wonder how you've gone about navigating, I guess that stereotype, that kind of negative stereotype. How have you gone about navigating that? There's a couple of things that I, so what's, I clearly, if I have the opportunity to inform someone directly, I will do that. I'm a pretty direct person. But you know what's been the best part of that? 
is when the executive is in a position to say, see Tara about that, or Tara manages that, or Tara handles that. Redirecting someone who may not have assumed to come to me for maybe whatever reasons, and then they get redirected to me. And I can think of several different instances and occasions. I won't get into specifics, but I can think of several different occasions and instances where people were clearly shocked about the fact that I would either have access to this or would know it and that they would not need to talk to my boss to get it. And so that's always nice when that happens, right? When you are spoke about in a way that allows people to know she is the expert on this. She is the person that will get you what you need. She is the person that can provide you with this level of information. So that's always nice. But I think I just have always tried to be fairly direct about it. I also give that messaging to the team that it is often our responsibility, as frustrating as it can be, to show, to prove, to educate folks on how we show up, what we're capable of, what we can do, because the notions around it is just so varied that you don't, you just don't know what people think of the role and what you're capable of. And so I talk to them about that. And I also talk to them, if you're working with an executive and there are some sort of limiting, I don't know if beliefs is the word, but they're limited in what they're giving you, dig a little deeper when it comes to that and volunteer to show that you can do something or better yet, take it a next step, do something and say, Hey, I just wanted you to know you had this conflict. I talked to your direct report. They were perfectly available and fine to take the call in your absence. Let me know if there's any issue or concern. Initiative goes a long way. Now I don't want you out here, but you got to do an initiative after you've been supporting somebody for a little while. You can't just be out here making decisions and you don't have all of the information, but initiative goes a long way in showing someone that you are capable to make decisions like that on their behalf. And so those would be the things that, you know, I wish I had known going into this. It's, it can be tiring. but Yeah, it goes back to the point that you made earlier about having a brand, doesn't it? Because there's that really famous quote, your personal brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Mm-hmm. If you work really hard on creating a reputation, a brand, a lot of that work is done for you because you've already created this persona and people are in the room talking about you when you're not there and hopefully in a good light. So that... Mm-hmm. Building that brand definitely helps with that aspect of the kind of stereotyping of the role. And let Um, let me say something about brands since we're on it. Because when I'm having conversations like this, I always want to say to people, listen, I haven't always had the squeakiest, cleanest brand. And partly because I think I've had to work on my directness, which is sometimes perceived as abrasive. It's never my intention, but I have had to. I'm just naturally direct and I know that everybody doesn't receive directness the same way. And and so I have over the years had to work on that from a brand standpoint, right? No one would ever be able to tell you that I didn't get work done or I couldn't get something done or I wasn't a subject matter expert. That was clean and perfect. But certainly how I engaged with individuals, I had to, again, look at myself and address some of those things because that matters. And so in building my own brand, I've had to adjust sometimes my approach to certain things and my, like the way I approach 
and the way I address certain things, because I know that my directness, even though I'm thinking, I'm just giving you the information, <laughs> um, but I know that sometimes it's perceived like she's so oppressive kind of thing. That must be tough though. That it must is. Because when you're working in a fast paced environment, and also, as you said earlier, you are having to sell yourself all the time and in your mind, you can do everything probably better than half the, the people that work in the organization. It must be really tough to just not pass on the information and then move on with your day. Yes. Yeah, that must be difficult. And I've had to check myself. And then, and, but I think that's all part of the journey, particularly for folks who want to get to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be realistic about that sometimes, right? Yeah. It's, it's a flexing to what isn't your natural style, but to accommodate whoever you might be communicating with. And that's not always easy and it's not always comfortable, but it is something you have to do to get to the next level. There's two questions I've got left to ask you, and they're both, I think, are going to be full of great answers. So I'm excited about those. There's a lot of change happening in the assistant industry and the admin space. And I wonder if there are some changes that you would like to see I've come in or maybe happen a little bit quicker than they currently are. I mean, it talks to what you were just saying there. So here's what I, a couple things come to mind for changes and what I would like to see happen. I would like organizations to start to reevaluate how they see the role and how they utilize the role. Some organizations are further along than others. I have the pleasure of interacting with EAs at companies all across the world, actually, mostly in the United States, but have over the last few years interacted with folks who have worked for organizations that are far ahead of a lot of others in terms of how they see the role, how they value the role. And the way that shows up is um, they've built a real structure in place where you have a structure where you have a lead or like a chief administrative officer who is has oversight for the administrative community, right? And that person is responsible for making sure that these individuals are developed professional, that they have that person has a seat at the table around compensation as it relates for these individuals in the administrative community. This individual also can be responsible with fleshing out the structure and making sure that there is a career progression in place for administrative professionals. In an ideal world, I would love to see all organizations start to do things like that because what it does is it allows executives to really focus on what they need to be focused on. And you build this community of administrative professionals who are handling so many things that maybe someone that's at a manager level was potentially handling before. So it really allows, and people gives assistance of feeling like you, this organization values what I do. They value this role. I've chosen to be in this role. It's not just a role I'm doing a pit stop in to get into a place or to get to a next level because some people want to be in the role. They also want to be in a place that values the role, that they can grow, that they can be developed, that they can move up a scale. That they And so all of the things that you see with any other profession, having organizations consider that this could be that same thing would be amazing. The other thing I will add to that is I recently, and this is a 
sort of a shameless plug kind of thing, but I also think there's benefit to this for those who are working in an organization that maybe doesn't exactly have all of the things that I just referenced, right? And so they may be feeling like, what can I do to leverage my skills and talents that that are not being utilized in my day job? What can I do to earn additional money? Because maybe I'm not being paid in the way that I need to be paid in my day job. And I'm encouraging folks to consider thinking about becoming a virtual assistant and operating in a virtual assistant space part-time because if you want your day job and that's very important to you, which for a lot of us it is, there's a whole world out there where you are able to utilize your talents, leverage your talents and support a business owner. Maybe it's a small business owner, or maybe it's someone who just needs some temporary project work where you can leverage some skills that you're not using, but also get paid for it. And so last year, in the summer of last year, I started a virtual assistant agency and it is called Evolved Assistant. And I am super excited. I started it because I, again, passion and purpose. This is my passion and purpose. And so I feel like, not that I'm not busy enough in my day job because you're clear that I am, but I also appreciate being able to leverage my skill set, particularly for BIPOC and women-owned businesses. That's my target audience. I have friends who are business owners who would ask me to help them with things. And so I thought, why am I not leveraging this under my own organization? And so the other component to that is not just me doing it, but building an agency. So a space where other corporate trained executive assistants who have day jobs, many of which are working in large organizations, if they are looking to leverage their skill set in the small business arena, but earn and also earn additional money, I've created a space for that. And so the business is new. I'm still growing. I'm still learning in that space. I do have clients. And so it's been really a rewarding experience for me. And those are two separate worlds. There's no no reason they would ever need to collide. But I think it's a thing that people, we should, I'll offer this advice to assistants. If you're working in an organization, you like where you are, you're making good money. I don't know that I'm going to do anything else or be able to do anything else. This is also a viable option. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll make sure that we add all of those details to the show notes because I know there'll be a, a huge amount of assistants that are listening that are just like ding ding, why haven't I already thought why haven't I thought of this? <laughs> and it also goes to show VA space has just exploded over the last kind of it's been around for a long time, much more in the States than it has in the UK or Europe. But over the last few years it's absolutely exploded. And there are so many small businesses small business owners, entrepreneurs, startups that are looking for those project work, little things to help with the admin, whatever it happens to be, or specific projects projects where assistants can really come in and leverage their skills. As you said, that are being utilized or that are not being utilized, but something you can do in your time outside your corporate job. And I think it really goes to show how assistants are and the skills that we have and how in demand they are. So I think for assistants listening, just having that awareness and hopefully some conf- gives you confidence that your skills are and will be valued wherever you happen to be, that your skills are valuable out there. So I think and that's I'm really actually cool. working on another extension. And Nikki, please don't say when you have time to do this, because I don't know when <laughs> I'm going to do this, but the time is going to appear at some point. I am also working on an ebook 
that it will literally walk assistance on how, because I know the notion of starting your own business or how to get started with doing virtual assistant work. Most people will be like, well, I don't even know where to start. This ebook that will come out at some point, I started working on it. It's slow and steady for me over here. That will literally walk folks assistance through how to get started with their own business as a virtual assistant. And it's not as difficult as I think people think, because sometimes we're thinking about doing stuff, it seems more enormous than it really is. But I want, I'm creating something that anybody could pick up and just follow step by step. I've got one last question before we wrap up. And I, as I think from what we've discussed over the last hour, anybody listening can understand how incredible your role is and your career has been to date. So I just wonder if there is, and I know this, again, this is a tough question, but if there is one tactic or strategy that you've implemented in your role that's made you successful? Ooh. I've thrown this one at you, Tara, sorry. (laughs) One, because it's hard to say just one. Maybe it's more of an approach as opposed to always trying to find, I'm clear about what I'm supposed to be doing, but I always try to be thoughtful around where I could be inserting myself and adding more or taking something off someone's plate. The president of our division has been in the role, I guess it's a little under two years now. And she, so we've had some change in leadership and of her direct reports. So some of our functional areas have had some changes in leadership. And I have tried to make sure that in having that transition, even though those individuals have their own executive assistance, I have tried to make sure that I have made myself available to them for things that they may not automatically go to their assistant for kind of thing. And I think we had a meeting, my president with her direct reports, and I think because of the way I've extended myself to some of the new folks on the team, I was asked to be in the room to participate in something that I wouldn't necessarily have been immediately asked for. And so I think finding opportunities to showcase what you're capable of doing outside of just the people you report to, I always am mindful of that. And I think I've always been mindful of that throughout my career. And so when things come up, people think of me oh, we could have Tara would be great at this or Tara would be the perfect person to to, to do this. And so that's what I would maybe offer as a tactic to folks is think about things outside of your day-to-day management of. So yes, you're doing things for your manager. Yes, you may be helping with some of the things the manager's team needs kind of thing. But think about other things outside of that space where you could show up and offer support because it does a couple things. Number one, it gets you connected with relationships outside of the folks in your day to day. But then it also allows you to have some exposure to things that maybe you wouldn't have exposure to in your day to day. And then people, when opportunities present themselves, because you've taken the time to go out of your box, they think of you when things come up that they may need support with or just want your thoughts. I get a lot of people who call me and say, okay, listen, this has nothing to do with you. <laughs> I definitely get this. this is going to like office moves, for example, like people will call me and say, listen, this has nothing to do with you. Tell me what you think. I love, don't you love it when they start? Nothing to do with you. Ah, 
let me know what you think. What do you think if I do? can I pick your brains? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't have time for this, but how can I help you? <laughs> But you know what? It's one of those funny things that assistants don't think about. And I think, some again, it ties in with something you said right at the beginning of our conversation, which is you are a resource and that is a huge value that sometimes is not a price is not put on that. It, and it should be. It absolutely should be because you – People come to you for things that then move their side of the business forward. And I wish assistants, again, and maybe this is a nice way to to close off our interview, but I wish assistants would realise the value that they bring just by the amount of sheer knowledge that they have in an organisation. Yes. Yeah. yes. And I'll tell you, in working in some of the cross-functional things that I'm working with, like different teams I'm on, I keep a lot of things because it's funny, this is going to sound crazy, but people have come and gone and then someone comes behind them to try to reinvent something. And I'm like, we don't need to reinvent this y'all. I got pictures. I got images. I got notes. I got directions. Like, and so that historical knowledge goes a long way and assistants underestimate the value of it. And sometimes organizations under underestimate the value. But you are absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Tara, I think I could speak to you all day, but you're a busy lady, so I don't want to take up any more of your time. But thank you so much for all of the incredible wisdom that you've shared and the advice that you've given. I know that assistants at all points in their career are going to really value that. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I love, again, when you are operating in your passion and purpose, like doing stuff like this is so much fun because if you feel like, I feel like I get to give this message out to folks that I wouldn't necessarily touch otherwise. And so I appreciate you even asking me to do it. Thank you so much for listening to the EA Campus podcast. We would love for you to take a minute to subscribe to the EA Campus podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you could give us a review, we would so appreciate that too. If you want to check out the show notes, you can do that by going over to the eacampus.com forward slash podcast and take a look at everything we discussed. You can also find all the links to the resources, articles, and tech that we mentioned during the show. If you want to join the conversation inside the EA Campus community, you will also find all of the information on the EA Campus website. The community continues to grow and we have an amazing group of assistants sharing their careers. We have ongoing events and training for our members and we would love to see ambitious and career-driven assistants join us. Thanks for your time and I hope you tune in again to the next episode of the EA Campus podcast.